Good morning. Ain't God good? If you got a Bible, I'd ask you to find Matthew chapter number 13 this morning. Not too long ago, these three preachers decided that uh, their churches were pretty close together. They were different denominations, but that they would really try to encourage their neighborhood by coordinating their spring revival. So they said, we're going to do it all the same week, and we're going to see if we can just get to everybody. They said, we'll get back together at the end of that week, and we'll just, we'll just brag on what God has done. So they got together, and the first guy said, I'm so excited. God added five families to our church. We had us a good revival. Next guy says, well, I'm, I'm not trying to top you. I'm not trying to top you, but we, we had us a good revival. God added seven families to our church. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Third guy says, we had the best revival we ever had. They said, oh, really? He said, I'm not trying to top y'all either. He said, we're the best, best revival we ever had. They said, man, what made Joel so good? He said, the 12 worst families we had left. <laughs> Herbert liked that one too much. <laughs> You know, what would it look like if revival really broke out? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this a lot this week. I made a little list, and I made a note to myself to, to share it every time. I think three things would, would happen, three big things, and would affect everything. I think we'd be humble before God and people. We'd just be humble. And a spirit of confession would break loose out of that that we couldn't control. We'd get relationships right. We'd, uh, we'd get right with God and each other, and we wouldn't be satisfied with, you know, all this cultural allowance with our brokenness. We'd have to get into there, and we'd work in race reconciliation. We'd work in uh, class reconciliation, and, but we'd just be humble. We'd be humble, and then we'd be honoring the God in our lifestyle in a way we never have. So we'd be, we'd be humble, and we'd be honoring, and I think that honoring the God deal, would, we'd be more kingdom-focused, like like, we could probably walk out in the parking lot and see eight or ten missionaries that ought to be on the field that we've spent on ourselves just in our vehicles. And if revival broke out, you know, stuff would change. We'd honor God with our lifestyle. And we'd also be helpful to people in the love and the name of Jesus without worrying about whether they deserve it. So humble, honoring, and helpful. So next week, when you get together, maybe <clears throat> five families will be added, or seven families will be added, or 12 will have left. But the real question for you and for this congregation, and I pray, I pray that God does start a fire right here. The real question for us would be whether we're humble and honoring and helpful. Has that shifted in our lives? So the test may not be whether our numbers will have grown but it's whether Jesus has stood up in us and shown himself to be king in our lives. So I'm preaching toward that end. I'm praying toward that end. I've been praying for weeks. I've been asking the people at East Rock Community Church to pray for weeks. I've done something this week. I want to just go ahead and confess it that I've never done. I've taken every afternoon off just to pray. I've never done that. I probably, I don't know how many places I've preached. And not a bragging contest. I've just never done it, Herbert. And I told you beforehand God had something on my heart. I'm, I'm just here to share it. 
So today, if you'd look at Matthew chapter number 13, beginning at verse number 24, we'll open the word and, and I pray we'll see beyond the text and hear the voice of God. The Bible reads like this, using the English Standard Version, the Bible reads like this, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of, he- of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in, a, in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He, the master, said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in the gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let's both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time, I will tell the reapers. Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Father, may this word come into our hearts, not because I've given some skillful presentation, but because you have peeled back the gates, the rusted gates of our hearts, and you have broken through to us. Speak to us, O Holy Spirit. In Jesus I pray, amen and amen. You know, if you look at all of Matthew 13, you'll see that it's a a super important passage to understand what's going on in the world and how the church should be responding to it. Man, I wanted to preach five or six hours and just give y'all the whole chapter, but, you know, like Herbert did with the kids, you got to stop talking before they stop listening. So I chose a few verses. There's two great sowers at work, and if you back up just a few verses, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, and he tells very clearly that God is throwing seed everywhere, and he's, Christ is casting his seed, and the Holy Spirit is casting the seed so that men and women and boys and girls would come to know Jesus. There's a lot of controversy about the Holy Spirit, and the way he's most misunderstood is people think the Holy Spirit is going to give you some big outward expression. And I'm not saying he won't, but he'll first give you a great inward impression. From John chapter 16, it tells us that Jesus says when he comes, the comforter, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The first and most powerful and ongoing work of the Holy Spirit is to show people you need Jesus for the coming judgment. You may jump around during the worship service. You might. Praise God. Y'all too. Y'all too. But the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to do is to show us that we need Jesus and When Jesus explained that in John chapter 16, he says he's going to convict the world of sin because they haven't believed in him. What's the greatest sin? It's not believing in Jesus. Part of revival, getting right, is getting right with your deeds, but the worst wrong is not believing in Jesus. You can get all the the, uh, stuff on the outside right, and if the inside ain't right, you ain't right. Imagine if someone were to replace a banana with a cucumber and put the peel back on. If you like cucumbers, that's fine, but it ain't banana, is it? You peel that bad boy back and say, well, this ain't banana. Cucumbers may not be the worst thing, but they're not bananas. So Christ is sowing the seed, and it's fallen on all sorts of ground, hard ground, 
uh, packed ground. It's falling on rocky soil. It's falling on thorny soil. And it's falling on good soil. But this passage tells us what Satan is doing. Satan is sowing seed too, but it's bad seed. So why would he tell us this in a parable? Why not just say, I'm sowing good seed and they're sowing bad seed? Because parables draw us in to listen and they tease us to consider. The parable of the sower tells us what God is doing with people and the parable of the weeds tells us what the enemy is doing. In church, there's opposition. Amen? I think that today, and you know, I'm probably going to make somebody mad, but y'all all got on your big boy britches, right? Probably one of the biggest ways the devil is working now is to get the church thinking that they're going to elect somebody that's going to change our life. And we siding with this political party and that political party. I think Jesus would say to us, shame, 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 shame. 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 I got an idea. You know what we all do? Elect everybody, keep a list of who you voted for, and then come and put the signs in your yard. So then I can ride around and say, blame them, blame them. <laughs> I ain't vote for now one of them. That's what my sign would say, now one of them. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. I will trust in the Lord. And the condemnation on the church these days may be that she trusts in politics over the power of God. We trust in our bank account. Some people say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Because the moment your comfort level is broken, then you get in distress. So how do we fix the comfort level with what we buy and what we build? The enemy really does not care how he breaks into our fellowship, and he does not care how he breaks into our life. It doesn't matter to him whether he uses apathy or wrong direction, as long as we're not getting on with Jesus. So there's opposition to the kingdom, and if you read all of Matthew 13, and I urge you to do that this afternoon, you'll see that it's not just this. They talk about the tares among the wheat. They talk about the mustard seed. What is that parable really even about? It's about the church growing so big, so fast, that it takes in all sorts of things, even the wild birds. Then it talks about the leaven, false doctrine. So you got false Christians, you got false growth, and you got false doctrine. In individuals, the enemy is working to snatch God's word away, starve God's word out, or smother God's work in your life. That's the parable of the soul. And in the world, he's given us tares and branches that collect all sorts of people and leaven that comes in and speaks lies in the midst of truth. Satan wants to interfere with the seed itself, the growth of the seed, and the fruit of the seed. So today, let's talk about seeds. The two seeds are first mentioned in Genesis chapter number 3, verse 15. And it says there, I want to read in the King James Version simply because that's one of the few that uses the word seed. A lot of them use descendants or offspring. It says there, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, I will put hostility between you and the woman. If you, if you don't understand what that is, enmity is hatred, is strife, is hostility. So why would the enemy sow seed? Why would the enemy come and throw out bad seed in the midst of good seed? His goal is hostility. And while in the church in America, we may not be facing getting our heads chopped off, we are facing maybe the greater enemy of the church. And that's what I call dissimulation. That's when every sort of person comes in and we can't tell the difference between anybody. 
It might be the worst of all. I'll uh, never forget my wife was in college and we were doing that young people poor. I mean, we weren't really poor. We were just young people poor. Uh, I'm, um, let's see. We've been married 19 years. I had to think about it. Herbert knows better than I do. Been married 19 years. Last year, we just got our first new couch. That's true. We, we always got some old secondhand thing. Well, she was in college, and, and I had been working on the road, traveling, maintenance and stuff, and I decided I was going to get me a little house. I got me a house. I used to get fit in it. It was about the size of this pulpit. <laughs> One day, I just stood up and put my arms out the window and walked off. And, but I needed me a couch slash bed <laughs> slash dinner table. <laughs> So she had some friend at Averett College where she was going and said, hey, her mom has a couch. It's in the basement. It's going to be heavy. Think we can get it? And I said, well, if all three of y'all could get one in, I'll get the other in. And they said, we can do it. So we went over there right around 58, right there at Danville. And, and sure enough, them three got on one end. They said, oh, we got it. And I got on the other end. And then her mom stepped in. It's going to be the fourth person. And when her mom stepped in, I heard my wife, my now wife, she's my girlfriend then, I heard her voice, and I thought she, I couldn't see. I had it like this, it was right in my face, and, and uh, all the weight was on me. We're going up the steps, and, and, and she, says, she says, hold up, honey. And I said, oh, I can't hold up, I can't hold up. And I reached around to grab the side. And when I did, I got all buttock. <laughs> and it won't mind. I usually keep mine back in this area. <laughs> and I thought it was my then girlfriend, and I didn't love Jesus. And I said, hey, girl. And all of a sudden, I heard in my wife's friend's mama's voice, yes. <laughs> a lot of times, something that seems like one thing is something else. <laughs> Even something that seems exactly like something else is not it at all. And that remains one of my most embarrassing moments of all time. The sad thing was I had to think about it a minute before I let go. I really was confused, and that couch was heavy. I mean, it's a true story. What this parable teaches us that sitting in our midst are people that dress like, talk like, look like, and often behave just like we, but they're not. I'm not here to cause a single soul to doubt their salvation, but I'm praying every soul enjoy their salvation. And if some soul finds he has no salvation, that they come to be saved. So we have to look at the sea. What's the purpose of the enemy? The purpose of the enemy to enemy is to bring enmity, strife, hostility. It's to keep the church from being full of love and ready to serve. It's to keep the church focused on the things of the world. It's to keep the church from obeying God and loving others. The enemy doesn't care whether he uses two things that look nothing alike or two things that look just alike as long as you're distracted by something that's not like Jesus. So whether you fall into a false religion, a Christian cult, or you sit in a Bible-teaching church and never surrender to God, it don't make any difference to him as long as you never surrender to God. When God made creation, he made everything beautiful and good, and he set man right down in the middle of it and goes, look, y'all, look what I made for you. 
Satan hates God and he hates everything God loves and he hates people because God loves them most. So whether it's to keep you away from God or to keep your fire burning hot for God, the enemy is trying to eat your behind up. And if you think he doesn't want to eat a local church up, whoo doggy, you don't know nothing. We'll get so distracted by doing stuff that we miss Jesus. We'll get so distracted by counting money that we don't look for souls. We could talk about all the good we do, but are we doing the best? Are we Mary or Martha? Are we busy or are we blessed? Are we sitting at his feet or are we just cooking in the kitchen? By the way, come get a biscuit, give a lot of money to the youth. They need it in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) This is not a new thing. Cain and Abel in the Old Testament. This deal between the seed of God and the seed of Satan, Cain and Abel. And from the Old Testament point of view, it just looks like jealousy and murder. Amen? But if you go on and read the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 3, the Holy Spirit decides to give us more evidence. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 read like this, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. See that? From the beginning, it was meant to be what? Love. Verse 12 is interesting. We should not be like Cain, and let the church say amen, Amen. who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Wow. It's not just a simple case of man versus man, and it never is because our our battles are not against flesh and blood. Let the church say amen. amen. We're not wrestling against people. We're wrestling against principalities, powers of the air. This is a spiritual battle. It always has been. What, what erupted out onto Cain's hand began as a quiet rumble in Cain's heart. Why? Because the seed that was there proved he was a child of the devil. And all our low-key anger, God counts that as murder too. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5 that if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you're like the murderer? This is nothing new. And the enemy doesn't care. I'm going to keep saying it until you believe me. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I'm like one of them preachers. If you don't say amen, I think you ain't hearing me. I'm going to go back and start over. Amen. Y'all better work with me. Better pass it on to the second service. Are you hearing me? Somebody say amen. amen. That girl said, please don't let him start over. <laughs> the enemy does not care. Imitation would be my number one trick if I was in that game. I would want you to trust a wolf in sheep's clothes. So I would make him look like the best cotton-picking sheep I could find. Mm. I would want you to be fooled about yourself. I'd love for you to get off on checklist Christianity. I go to church, I do my tithe, I do blah, blah, blah. I would love for it to be that simple if I was the enemy. Because then, then you can look at a few things and say, I'm okay. Wow. Sometimes we just need to open the scripture and start reading until it burns. That's the only real thing. Back up in your Bibles, Matthew 5. Let me show you. uh, In the second hour, let me show you something real quick. If you look at Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 20, there's an amazing thing in the scripture that, that needs to be unfolded for us. Verse 21, rather. Verse 21. This is, uh, excuse me, 20. I can't see. Yesterday I went and bought a large print Bible. It ain't working yet. (laughs) 
Verse 20, Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Now, he wasn't necessarily putting down the scribes and Pharisees. We need to understand that. Nobody had their outward game on bigger lock than those guys. They had it down pat. They dressed right. They spoke right. They went right. They did right, as far as anybody could tell. Even at one point, Jesus tells a parable about these, this, this, these two guys that go to the temple to, to seek forgiveness from God. One guy goes to the temple, and he prays like this. Hands lifted to the air. God, thank you that I'm not like other sinners. How many times do we do that? We don't do it outwardly because we're real polite. We're southerners. But we do it in real quiet ways. At least I ain't over here drinking. At least I ain't over here killing nobody. At least I work every day. That's what he said. Thank you, God, that I'm not like these other sinners. I, I go to church and I tithe. And then, then my man just goes off. He points somebody out. And he says, I'm especially not like that tax collector. So what he has set the bar at is what he's comfortable doing and who he's uncomfortable being like. And neither one of those are setting the bar at Jesus. The other guy just beats on his breast. Tax collector says he wouldn't even look up. Tax collector couldn't even look up. So humbled by his brokenness that he wasn't offended by that man's accusations. He was offended by his own brokenness. Couldn't even look up. He says, beat his breast. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. See, too many times we're trying to look out the window rather than looking in the mirror. And this morning, if I could beg you to do anything, I'd beg you to look in the mirror. Because right here it says, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Then he goes on to get into several heart issues right on the heels of saying that. He talks about anger and lust and divorce. He talks about oath-giving and revenge-seeking and whether you love your enemies some folks can't even get along with their family long enough to have Christmas dinner, and Jesus commands you to love your enemies. Sometimes you just need to open your Bible. The first night I became a Christian, March 2nd, 1997, I got my Bible out. I had a Bible. My grandma gave it to me. Thank God for grandmas. Somebody say amen. amen. My grandma had done, as Jerry Clow would say, she had done give me that thing. I broke it out. I started reading in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. I got over here into the Sermon of the, house, of the Mount, and my heart fell into a thousand pieces when I saw how unlike God I was and how much I needed. So Jesus said, it's not about this outward thing, but that, that was real easy. Everybody in Roxborough knew I was a drunk, brawling fool. I didn't even have to weed through my image. I just had to face my inner man. Some of you this morning got to weed through your image. Everybody thinks you're okay, and you wouldn't want nobody to see you down here praying because something might be wrong. But Jesus would say, it's not about the outward appearance. It's about the inner reality. And you keep on going all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts talking about minimums of... Minimums of religious outworking, give to the needy, be a, be a prayer warrior. I and mean, if you read this, this is a real, real prayer. Fast. I mean, we're Baptists. We don't believe in fast. Fast is when you don't eat nothing. We slow. We eat twice as much. <laughs> talks about how you handle your money and what do you do with anxiety. Goes on into chapter 7, talks about judging people. And, and having a, a spirit of reception, ask, seek, and give. It talks about the golden rule, and it doesn't say treat each other back like they treated you. It says go do to others the things you wish you'd have 
somebody to do to you. Like, I'd wish somebody would buy me a new truck, so I'm, I'm going to give someone a new truck. That's sort of what he says. I want love. I want acceptance. I want affirmation. I want encouragement. Go give someone those things. Isn't that funny? But usually, how does that work? I want a new truck, so I'm going to get me a new truck. Hmm. We don't live by the golden rule very well, do we? They say, oh, me, Herbert. Not amen. And then he gets down all the way at the end. I, I won't belabor the point. Gets down to the end, toward the end, and Jesus says something that is incredible. In verses 15 through 20, he says, you know, you got to look at the fruit of a thing. Now, somebody say amen. amen. You got to look at the fruit of a thing. Every tree, says in verse 19, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Now, I'm at that point where I want to know what good fruit is. Amen. amen. I want good fruit. I, I don't want to be fruity, but I want good fruit. And I don't want to be fruit flavored. I don't chew much chewing gum, but my daughter gave me a piece the other day. I, had, I always have bad breath, but I could smell it. <laughs> I knew I needed help. And I said, you got any mint? She said, I got some chewing gum. I don't like chewing gum. I said, let me have it. I started chewing, and it was like this. I said, what in the world is this? And she reads the pack and says, lemonade and grape, fruit flavors. And I said, this ain't no fruit, baby. I've had lemons and I've had grapes. This is called chemicals. Every tree that does not have good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And it goes on to say this. This is where I really want to take you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, he said to him, guys, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. It can't be outward. It's got to be inward. But it does manifest in obedience and love pouring out of us. Now, what are people going to say to him on that day? This is talking about the judgment day. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Prophesy is to speak authoritatively of spiritual or future things. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. Did we not cast out demons? That is spiritual force over spiritual force. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. And did we not do many mighty works? Now, that in the Greek is saying miracle stuff. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. So will the Holy Spirit use a lost vessel to accomplish a godly end? You betcha. So just because you look right and have done something right doesn't always mean you are right. Got to check your fruit. Now, I'm no man's judge. I'm not trying to be any man's judge. When Jesus talks about judging, he says, don't judge anybody except with the standard whereby you want to be judged with. I'm judged by the standard of Jesus, and so are you. I'm not judging. To tell an employee they're late at 10 minutes past the hour they were arrived is not to judge them. It is to record what is on the clock. The clock judged. What's the clock in Christian living? The clock is fruit. I didn't come up with that. We'll have to wrestle with Jesus because what he goes on to tell them, he says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So fruit is important. And in John chapter 8, verses 39 through 47, I won't go there for the sake of time. He even calls some religious leaders. He says, you children of the devil. Now, why did he call them that? Because they did not have faith in him. Inward work born out of faith in Jesus. 
inward work born out of faith in Jesus. Last Sunday morning, I usually am pretty good about stumbling around in the dark in my own home. Amen? Y'all can do that, right? Well, I was stumbling around in the dark and knocked my whole big toenail off. I said this Greek word. It was only one word. I got it from Greek class to help me describe it. It was this. Oh! <laughs> Do you know? Now, this, if you got a weak stomach, stick your fingers in your ear. I, I had to take a, I couldn't stand it. I walked around for a day trying to doctor on that thing. I had to take a pair of needle, needle nose pliers and just. And I said, boy, you talking about, I'm sweating thinking about it. It still hurts. It hurts in my memory. Mind me, one time my daddy whooped me so hard, it still hurts. I, and I G-R-A-P-T that thing and said, Jesus, and pulled it. And you know, even this morning, my sock is agitating me. Just my sock. Thursday afternoon, I went to South Elementary for club, and I got this one little boy. His name is Huberto, and he is precious. I can't walk for him being under my feet. He stepped on that toe. 73 times. <laughs> I got down on the floor one time. He said, Mr. Tim, are you praying? I said, I'm dying. <laughs> You'll know you're getting on with Jesus when your heart is so tender that his lightest touch will send you flying. Amen. That's what I'm really getting at. The seed of the Satan stands against, resists, opposes the things of God, even sometimes as it stands right beside him. And it's not always a head chopping off. Sometimes it's real quiet. Sometimes it's as quiet as the offering plate passing by. But when your heart is tender and the Holy Spirit moves you, you can't stop it even if you try. One of y'all step on my toe this week, you'll find out. So that's the seed. What about the fruit? I won't linger long, but I'll say this. that Jesus says a tree is known by its fruit. Amen. We could read the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such is no law. In other words, there's no limit to how long and how far God will go in giving you his nature. We could talk about the other fruit of the Spirit, such as witnessing and having spiritual gifts. That list is longer than Galatians 5. But do you know also in Galatians 5, there's a list of the fruit of the flesh. And I guarantee you that that one list to put us on our knees. And if we go and look at our lives and take an inventory, which list puts us on our knees? I know in John chapter 8, he says, if you're my disciple, you abide in the word. I know in John chapter 13, he says, if you're my disciple, you love your brothers and sisters. I know in John 15, he says, if you're my disciples, you bear fruit for my glory. The Bible has much to say about it. And I'm not asking anybody to say, I wish somebody else was hearing this. I'm asking you, you listening. I'm not asking you to look out the window at Roxborough and Person County. I'm asking you to look in the mirror and say, am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing fruit? Do I live love? Do I walk in God's word? Do I, do I try to bring God glory with my life? Some of us are so soaked in culture that God tried to put the soap of holy cleansing on us. The sponge wouldn't take it. When they talked about the enemy that came and sowed some seeds, it's wild rice grows everywhere. I don't know if y'all know that. It grows everywhere. Zazania is its real name. We often call it here in America, Darnell. It's everywhere. You, you've had it around fields around here. People even eat it. It won't kill you. It just ain't rice. 
What I find interesting, I just read this this week, Herbert, with, 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 with uh, this kind of rice, you don't got to beat it none to get it out. It'll just fall right off. It has a readiness that's different than real rice. You know why? Because it's not real rice. That goes back and describes that parable of the sower. They readily take in the word of God, but it don't last, does it? Where's your fruit, church? I know this isn't a fun message. I'm not a very fun person. Hang out with me. You'll find that out. Matthew chapter number 3, verses 7 through 10, the Bible reads like this, but when he saw the many other Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, to his baptism, this is John the Baptist speaking, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Doesn't it seem like they wanted to hear the message? They came out to hear him. What did John say? What y'all doing here? So they answered John. They said, no, excuse me. John gave them the answer they was thinking. He says, and don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you want revival, you're going to have to look at your life and say, am I being fruitful? I'm not telling you you're not a fruit tree, but you might be going through a dry season this time for that to change. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you you're lost. I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I don't want, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to sit down and interview every one of y'all, because then you'd be living by my judgment. I want you to walk in the Spirit. But I know this much, that if God took 12 Christian leaders and rocked the Mediterranean, that all these churches in this 404 square miles ought to be doing a whole lot better than we are if we're really walking with the Lord. There ought to be a whole lot more good works done out here, and we ought not be deciding how we're going to make something fancy for self. We ought to be and how we're going to feed others. And so if we got a 404 square miles over 125 established churches, you cannot tell me we okay. Even if you come from the biggest church with the best offering, with the most faithful people to do the most stuff, fruit of the Holy Spirit, fruit of repentance looks radically different than just going through the motions of religion. So let's talk about the harvest in closing. Y'all are nervous. I'm not. Don't worry. I have a lot of pages. That's because they're in big font because I'm going blind. When those workers in Matthew chapter number 13 came to the Lord Jesus, they said, oh, my goodness. There's weeds out there. Should we pull them up? He says, no, boys, don't do it. You'll get some of the rice. Some of y'all would say, we ain't supposed to judge each other. Well, I ain't judging nobody. Even these servants could tell a weed from a wheat. How could they tell weed from wheat? Maybe not at first, but when it got a little bigger, they say, that ain't wheat. <laughs> That's weed, not wheat. I see a couple people from East Rock here. You know, I, I know what they're thinking. They say, this is why our church is small, because Tim always says this crazy stuff. I hope it don't come out like that. I hope it don't come out like that. Here's why. If I could really tell y'all my heart behind this message. I came to Lord Jesus in 1997. I don't know if I was an alcoholic. I don't know if I was a drug addict. I hadn't analyzed it enough. I didn't come to Jesus because I was tired of drinking and doing drugs. I come to Jesus because I was tired of being brokenhearted. And when he filled my heart up, I didn't have any need for drinking and drugs. 
I didn't have any need for chasing women. I didn't have any need to fight people to get in my way. My heart was full. I was loved and affirmed. And I can't even say that I stopped being a bad dude all at once, but I knew a love had touched me. But I became immediately concerned about my family members, particularly about my broken relationship with my father. And I went to work on that. Man, you talking about frustration and messed up. I would go and tell my daddy about um, the Lord Jesus, and he would always go back, well, I was baptized in 1951, and I'm like, brother, you can baptize a cat. You're going to get scratched, but you can do it. <laughs> I tried everything. I was straightforward. I was gentle. I was long-suffering. I just wanted my daddy to know Jesus. I just wanted my daddy to know Jesus. When I read the Bible, my daddy, he was a terror. He could tell you all the information, but he hadn't experienced the transformation. His heart wasn't tender to Jesus. His heart was only tender to himself. If he got extra money, he didn't think about how I could bless somebody. He thought how I could bless himself. And I just saw it. My dad is dead and gone, been dead for two years. He can't come here and refute any of this. But I had all these conversations in the very open with him. But you know what I saw? I saw heart disease and COPD and diabetes eat up all that meanness and self-denial in him. It just eat it up. And old age and sickness made that man so tender that one day, over here at the VA, when he's all laid up, his heart was ready for Jesus and he switched out of being a religious know-it-all and become a humble child of God. If you can know my motivation, I've known too many people around this, candle, around this county that knows the words to the music, but they ain't dancing. And if we're going to get revival, we've got to stop playing. Your heart's got to be about like my toe, that if God touches it, you move. So the harvest is coming. He says, don't pull them up. Does this mean we don't use church discipline? Lord Jesus, no. It just means this. It means this, that God's in the miracle business of changing weeds to wheat. It means he doesn't want to hurt his little baby wheat. He don't want to hurt his baby wheat. Y'all with me? He don't want to hurt his baby wheat. It's not that he's not concerned about the tares. He can do a miracle with the tares. And what he wants to see is them tares get changed to something else. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. That's a miracle. Greatest miracle of all is a soul headed to hell that changes its way. Amen. I was, nobody ever sings it. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. I was once weed, now I'm wheat. <laughs> so look at yourself this morning. One of the first songs, I went to church a little bit here and there, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go to church a whole lot, but the man who went to Ephesus Baptist Church named Oki Carver, and he, you know, I like to sing, and he got me and my cousin to sing a song with him. And the first song I ever sang in church, it says, it says, put your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee to take a look at yourself, and then you can look at others differently. We, we do that backwards a lot of times. We look at others and then look at ourselves differently. We either say they're better than me and I need to change, or we say I'm better than them and I'm okay. What I want you to do is take a look at Jesus and see where you are with him this morning. Where are you at with Jesus? Because the harvest is coming, and I'm not the Lord of the harvest. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm just a laborer in the field. But what, what's going to happen is the master who definitely knows what is weed and what is wheat is going to bind both. He's going to bind both. One, that he can bring it into the barn, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing bringing in the sheaves, but the rest he will cast into the fire, into the outer darkness where there'll be gnashing of teeth and weeping 
throughout eternity. The question is, if you were to inspect the fruit in your own life, are you a weed or a weed? I ain't asking you, did you come to church this morning? I got four eyes. I see you. Hey. I'm asking you, are you a weed or weed? Have you ever really surrendered your heart to Jesus, or have you just surrendered your behind to that pew? Because if Jesus got your heart, he got your heart all week, not just your behind on Sunday morning. Now, this might have been a tough message to hear, but it would be better you heard it from me and never liked me than to hear it from Jesus and fail to love him. I'm okay. My ego is big in the sanctuary already. I'm okay. You okay? Now, as I studied this passage, I didn't come away. I didn't come away untouched. I see some areas of my life where it's a constant struggle. I constantly struggle with my weight. That's easy for everybody to see. But the things that cause it are a struggle. I constantly struggle with my temper. Just because I don't let it out don't mean I don't struggle. I, I struggle. I struggle with many struggles common to man. You want to know them, I'll tell them to you. I'm not hiding from nobody. And when I read this passage, I could honestly say to myself, I could honestly say to myself, God, thank you that your grace is bigger than my problems. I don't, I don't, you, I'm looking in the mirror too, y'all. I don't say, is it fruit from your life? Are you weed or weed? Holy Spirit, search this place. Search us. Too many of us are satisfied with going through the motions. Too many of us are satisfied with being religious without relationship. Too many of us are satisfied with being happy by the United States definition rather than holy by the Bible's definition. Father, set us on fire with your Holy Spirit. God, if there's a soul in this place, if there's a soul in this place who whether decision or delusion has kept them from coming to you, God, I pray they see their condition, that they are fruitless and undone, lost and condemned without Jesus, and that you will break their heart and cause them to surrender to you. Lord, set us on fire as only you can. In Jesus I pray, amen.